That's a great moment there in Acts 4, isn't it? People getting in trouble for being kind. Uh, there's something weird about our world where that happens. Uh, but that's not where we're looking tonight. We're looking at Jonah chapter 2. So I'd encourage you to flick back in your Bibles to uh, page 654. Uh, that's where you'll find the story of Jonah that we had read to us just a moment ago. A few years ago, I um, remember speaking to a friend uh, and he was going through a particularly hard time, uh, memorable to me. Uh, a few weeks before we'd spoken, he travelled to his hometown uh, to bury his grandfather, who was a, a lovely, godly Christian man. Uh, when I was speaking to him, he was about to go and take the family down again because this time he was burying his grandmother, uh, a lovely Christian woman. Uh, he and his wife were expecting another child, uh, but after they uh, had discovered that, it was found to be a cancerous pregnancy uh, where the baby had uh, already died and um, his wife had to have an operation and, and a possibility of chemotherapy was hanging in the air. Uh, it struck me at the time when I was talking to him that he was just at a point in life where he seemed hemmed in by death. Just kind of on all sides, there was just death and sadness all around him. And perhaps you've been there, or perhaps you know people in that kind of situation or a similar one. What comfort do you offer to someone in that place, when someone's surrounded by death and its effects? Now, what comfort is there to offer them? I'm aware we come to church on a Sunday night and we've had a lovely weekend and we've relaxed and we've enjoyed the weather and getting out and about and I'm aware we've kind of our minds are thinking about the fact that well tomorrow starts a new working week and and it's always much fun to kind of come to church without a you know perhaps a chirpy story to kick off with uh, and be forced to actually ask hard uncomfortable questions. But I want to say the questions we ask when we're hemmed in by death are the questions that are going to help us tonight when we look at Jonah 2, and more importantly, they're going to be the useful questions that will help us in life. So we come back to, if you've been with us before, uh, our dangerously orthodox friend Jonah, and he's in the middle of trouble. Uh, Jonah was armed with a complete knowledge of the all-powerful God, and yet he wanted to defy him. What he's found out is that you, you can't get away with practical atheism forever. So he's hurled into the sea and the raging storm now has calmed but for Jonah things aren't going so well. He finds himself in the belly of a great fish and so at last in verse 1 our practical atheist is forced to acknowledge God and forced to pray. If you were with us in chapter 1 he refused when the opportunity was obvious and there for him but here verse 1 from inside the fish Jonah prayed to Yahweh the Lord his God and it's in his prayer we see both the dangerous predicament he's in and his one and only way out. So Jonah is enveloped by death. He's hemmed in by suffocating waters. I think we Australians generally consider ourselves to be good swimmers. We we think of ourselves as fairly confident around water. Um, I suspect that's because most of us have never really swum more than maybe 100 metres from the shoreline. We kind of like stick close to it or swim in pools. Uh, and hence we kind of think, yeah, water, that's pretty nice to go for a swim. No, no, no. Uh, to get out where it's seriously a long way from land, where personally I'd never go, um, is dangerous stuff. 
we've got to see, yes, water is essential for life, but to be where Jonah is immersed in water, he's actually surrounded by death rather than life. So Jonah knows that. He's out there in the middle of the ocean. He was cast out of the boat when, when the storm was raging, when waves were crashing over him, forcing him under. He doesn't have an inflatable you know, life jacket. He doesn't have a flare system ready to go. There are no lifeboats coming to rescue him. There's no chance for him to kind of even take a breather because the seabed is too far down. He can't just kind of put his feet down for a rest and recover. Jonah might well have been swallowed up, but outside the fish's gut is death. And there's a poetic nature to his prayer that, that gives us a sense of him sinking further and further down into death. The situation gets worse and worse, and yet he's hopeful. There's a rhythm you may have noticed in the prayer. He sinks down, down, up the air, down, down, up again. Have a look at it from, um, from verse 2. In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help and you listened to my cry. Okay, so Jonah now starts sinking down. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me and all your waves and breakers swept over me. Okay, so he's still up at the surface at this point, but he's sinking. And I said, I have been banished from your sight. And then he comes up the air. Yet I will look again towards your holy temple. Sinking down again. Um, the engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. So he's come a long way down now. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. <sighs> up again for breath. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. There's a poetry to his prayer that says he's struggling against death, the suffocating waters that are hemming him in. And he's battling and he wants to get back up to the surface And what we see is the Lord, Yahweh, the God he knows, is both his greatest threat and at the same time his one and only hope. So in verse 3, it's the Lord who hurled him into the very heart of the sea. He doesn't talk about the sailors who threw him overboard. It's God's waves that crash over his head. It's the Lord who banished Jonah from his sight. Read the reason. Jonah has found himself as the enemy of God, under the judgment of God. He's hemmed in by death. He brought it by his own rebellion. And that's our world, isn't it? Our world is enveloped by death. Uh, and it's and the effects of death just kind of run around. And we try and shelter ourselves from it as much as it's possible. Uh, so in modern society, what do we celebrate? We celebrate youth and beauty. Uh, look at the kind of people who make it on the TV. They're the the beautiful young things, aren't they? You don't see sick people and old people as the stars of television shows. Uh, we try and hide this. Uh, there used to be a time when the majority of the population not only were born at home, but died at home. Uh, but now, uh, people are taken away to die. Whether it's hospitals or nursing homes. You know, we are sheltered from the reality that death surrounds us. There are probably a lot of people here tonight who've never been in contact with a dead body. The Bible talks about a close connection between sin and death. So when Adam and Eve chose to rebel back in Genesis 2, they they were warned that on the day they do it, they would surely die. And at the heart of all sin 
It's a rejection of God, the giver of life. It's, it's a rejection of saying, I'm going to run life on my own terms. And so when Adam and Eve reject God, who give, gave them life, what they bring is death upon themselves. That very day. Um, not, not death in its final state. They manage to keep breathing, keep doing things for many years. But, but there's more to death than just when your heart stops pumping. The effects of death are upon them in the same way they are on us. The ground they used to work and would produce crops easily is now hard. The joy of childbirth and bringing new life into the world is now marked by pain and tragedy. Relationships that should be a delight are, are actually constant friction. It's the effects of sin and death. And we keep seeing them, don't we? You know, there are times when it's, it comes in unexpected flashes. Uh, like my friend I was talking about who, who lost his two grandparents and a child. Uh, or Sean. Uh, who at 15 was riding his bike to school with a helmet, uh, but he hit a pothole, was on a major road, um, and the car had no option, couldn't turn, couldn't turn in time, let's try that again. Uh, or Kate, uh, 19 years old, driving home uh, after a, a long week of ridiculous long shifts at the restaurant she was working at. Uh, dusk was approaching, for some reason she just fell asleep behind the wheel, never woke again. And then there are the subtle reminders of death. The sickness and the injury that crop up, uh, the chronic fatigue syndrome that leaves fit, enthusiastic people struggling on a lounge. Um, The one in a million beachside accident that left uh, Jason uh, a paraplegic when he dived through the water to try and help uh, a friend. Maybe for you, you feel the, the effects of sin and death in a long-term fractured relationship. Maybe you just grieve for someone you love who's gone. When you're hanged in by death, where do you go? I want to say Jonah's orthodoxy, for good, shines through again. Um, He knows that the same Lord who threatens him is his one and only source of salvation. So Jonah calls out in verse 2 to the Lord. And he is confident that God will deliver him. So in verse 4 he looks forward to the time he's going to go and visit the great temple in Jerusalem again. Um, After Jonah has been forced down to the depths of the ocean, surrounded by death, in verse 6 it's the Lord who's going to bring his life back up from the pit. And so he's got this great confidence. Have a look at it in verse 7. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. Uh, Our orthodox, our right-thinking prophet, uh, knows the foolishness it is to cling to idols. Now, when death comes, what can an idol do? Nothing. Uh, All it does for you to cling to an idol is you squander the mercy that God is offering because you'll trust in it rather than him. And that's people of our world, isn't it? Clinging to idols all the time, not not just the little statues you see at a Thai restaurant. You know, when Paul writes in Colossians 3, he talks about how greed is idolatry. And yet, the average Australian clings to their wealth, don't they? Desperately. As though in some way it might save them from the inevitable. 
Now, Reno Rivkin uh, famously was quoted for saying who he dies with the most toys wins. Uh, and, of course, we know that it's all been subverted. I think there are even T-shirts that went out there. He who dies in the most toys still dies. Uh, the the obstetrician who delivered the majority of my children uh, was the last one in New South Wales who still bulk built. Uh He's retired now. Um, the expense of insurance drove him out. Uh, because these days people sue doctors as soon as anything goes wrong. It is, is almost an assumption underneath it that, you know, doctors can bring salvation, that the effects of death and, you know, any doctor can conquer them when or no. Now, wealth, and I'm not against having money, but wealth can't save from a world marred and scarred by death. Likewise, doctors, um, and certainly I want to say doctors are good, I appreciate their work, um, it's a great thing, but they can only relieve the pain. They can only postpone what's going to be inevitable. But Jonah says in verse 9, salvation, overcoming death, it comes from the Lord. If you can only remember one thing from Jonah tonight, remember that phrase, salvation comes from the Lord. It's the same message that Peter and John declared, we read it in Acts 4, they healed the cripple, uh, man marred by the effects of sin and death. And in defending their actions, they explain, They could do this in the name of Jesus. So they said, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Now, when death is all around, Jesus is the one and only way to break its boot. Because just as Jonah descended into death, so to speak, for three days and three nights, Jesus actually went into death and emerged. So Jesus actually quotes the incident of Jonah in Matthew 12. Um, you can look it up later on, Matthew 12:39, And Jesus says this, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for miraculous sign. None will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of you. Jesus tastes death, but death can't hold him. So Jesus basically rips hell and Hades wide open. And so there is a way found for life through death. God has won salvation for his people. And there is no other way to be saved than in him because no one else has gone into death and triumphed over that way. And we need to be united to him by faith so that we can live despite our deaths. And Jesus, Jesus in his mercy and kindness sends his Holy Spirit to dwell in his people to guarantee they have life. It's been one for their tasting and enjoyment. And if you know that, if you know that Jesus has been there and he's conquered death, wouldn't it be foolish to put your hope in anything else? Now, I'm not saying stop visiting doctors, but don't be fooled into thinking that they can do anything for you in the last day when death really comes. For some reason, Australians don't want to face the reality of death. They even want to take funeral services. Strangely enough, no one wants to talk about death. And you think, if you won't talk about it at a funeral, when will you talk about it? 
And society doesn't want to face death, doesn't want to face sin, but their salvation won't be found in wealth or in their jobs. Salvation is from the Lord. And isn't it great that he offers it for you? And people who know that, orthodox people, people with right thinking, people perhaps like you and me, need to see all the implications of that. Uh, And Jonah, again, I want to say, is helpful for us. Uh, Our orthodox friend shows us the dangers of that orthodoxy, that that kind of salvation can't be assumed or presumed upon. You know, it looks like the time in the depths has been really helpful for our friend Jonah. You know, now he's back praying. That's great, isn't it? Uh, He's got a desire to go and see the temple again. That sounds pretty on track. But I want to say I'm a little disturbed still by Jonah. Um, Yeah, he's orthodox. You know, salvation comes from the Lord, but there's just a whiff of danger about him. I I don't think he's read the times. Not the paper, but the situation. Now, His prayer there is a prayer of thanksgiving which I want to say is it's just out of place because being inside a fish is not quite being saved. Uh, in 1891, James Bartley, sailor aboard the whaling ship Star of the East, um, had a Jonah-like experience, not the same, but um, he was swallowed by a whale in the vicinity of the Falklands. Uh, he spent more than 48 hours inside the whale and after the whale was harpooned, brought um, aboard, he was actually found alive. Uh, it took him two weeks to recover from the ordeal and uh, Sir Francis Fox, who was on the boat, wrote this about the incident. Bartley affirms that he probably uh, would have lived inside his house of flesh until he starved, for he'd lost his senses through fright and not lack of air. He remembers the sensation of being thrown out of the boat into the sea. Uh, he was then encompassed by a great darkness and felt he was slipping along a smooth passage to some uh, of some sort that seemed to move and carry him forward. The sensation lasted a short time, then he realised he had some more room. Uh, he felt about him and his hands came in contact with a yielding, slimy substance that seemed to shrink from his touch. Uh, finally, it dawned on him that he'd been swallowed. Uh, he could easily breathe, but uh, the heat was terrible. Not of a scorching, stifling nature, uh, but it seemed to open the pores of his skin, draw out his vitality. Uh, his skin, where it was exposed to the action of the gastric juice, his face, neck, hands, were bleached to a deadly whiteness and took the appearance of parchment, uh, never uh, recovering its natural appearance. Uh, Though otherwise his health did not seem affected by his terrible experience. It doesn't sound being inside there like the experience of being saved. Jonah might be out of the water, but he's still inside the gut of a fish. More than that, I want to take what Jesus says seriously. Jesus says when he compares his experience to Jonah's, Being inside a whale is like being dead. It's being in the grave. So I think rather than giving thanks at this point, rather than presuming God will save him, Jonah should be there lamenting his sin, taking advantage of salvation and acknowledging his need. Uh, Martin Luther was a man who who felt the weight of his sin. Uh, In the early 16th century he wrote these words, "Uh, In the monastery I didn't think about women, money or possessions. Instead, my heart trembled and I fidgeted about whether God would bestow his grace on me. He knew that, that God's law required us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and to love your neighbour as yourself. And, 
And you hear the words all, and he heard those words all, and he fidgeted. Perhaps he might have as well. Now Luther examined his life and he felt there wasn't a moment uh, where he'd actually fulfilled it. Yeah, he loved God, but not with all his heart. Yeah, he loved other people, but not in the way that he loved himself. And so he lived weighed down by that inadequacy and he knew he stood condemned until one day he actually saw that salvation came from the Lord through Jesus and it struck him and he admitted his sin and gave thanks. Now maybe Jonah is confident in God's power but perhaps, perhaps. Jonah just has trouble reading the real situation he's in and he just presumes. And rather than seeing that death is all around him and rather than lamenting his sin and asking for forgiveness, Jonah just kind of presumes upon God. And perhaps that's our danger, isn't it? Especially if you've been at church for a long time. You may not re-read the times properly. Uh, You know, when daylight saving kicks in here in New South Wales, um, even if you're a Queenslander, where they don't uh, bow down to daylight saving, uh, you need to get in sync with the times here. You can't live on Queensland time here. You just have to operate on what the times are. It's crazy to live out of sync with the times. The times of our world, we are in and under death and judgment. It hangs over people. Uh, yeah, we need to get on and do work, serve other people, but, but don't miss what these times are really about. I think most people assume this is the time to work hard, get a mortgage and enjoy a good holiday. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, No, no, these times, now is the day of salvation. Now is the time for people to get reconciled with God. Now is the time for people to acknowledge their sin and not be ignorant and not presume upon what God will do. Now is the time for people who are hemmed in by death to find life. You've got to see that for yourself, but even more, see the danger those around you are in. Uh, let me give you four practical suggestions, four suggestions uh, of how to live in step with these times, given the times you're in. Uh, one is prioritise evangelism, but not exclusively. Okay? So telling people about Jesus is, the on- is not the only way that you can love your neighbour. Now, you love people by caring for them physically, caring for them emotionally, but you've got to care for them spiritually. Without Jesus, they are dead. And so we must prioritise their destiny. I'm not saying it's either or, it's a both end. For salvation comes from the Lord and no one's going to save himself. Secondly, pray. Um, If salvation comes from the Lord, and not from you, and not from me, well, we're going to need his help. Personally, I find prayer hard. I find it a struggle. Um, I I have an assumption that uh, most competent people do. Now, I want to be careful here. This is not an insult to you if you happen to be competent and prayerful. That's actually just really, God has been very kind to you. Uh, Praise God for that. Not an insult to you. But I do think confident people often struggle with prayer because prayer is an expression of humility. It's a way of saying, oh, actually, I can't deal with this. I need to give this to you because you can deal with it. And confident people often find that hard. The Apostle Paul prayed for his friend 
uh, Philemon to be active in sharing his faith. Because he knew that salvation comes from the Lord, not from anybody else. Third thing is, is be equipped. Uh, 1 Peter 3 says, be prepared uh, to give an answer for the hope that you have. I want to say it's loving to, if you know about Jesus, it's loving to the people around you to be able to tell them simply about it rather than make them work hard to discover what's locked away in your mind about Jesus and all rattled and mixed up. You can love them by having a clear way of being able to explain Jesus to them. Now there are courses and there are books available. Uh, If you need to learn, ask me, ask Paul. Uh, And if you know one, that's great, but don't fall into the trap of thinking that the gospel is monochrome, that there's only one way to tell people the gospel, that you always have to tell people it exactly the same way. Um, If you look through the Bible, you see there's a a huge variety of presentations of the gospel. It doesn't always have to be the one magic kind of stages you take people through. Get equipped, uh, and equipped in multiple different ways, to be able to explain to people how salvation comes from the Lord. Uh, And fourthly, remember how God works. Remember that God normally works salvation through creation rather than against creation. So God could reveal himself to every individual through spectacular means of a a different kind of creation to to save them. Uh, He could choose to override, circumvent what he's already made to make himself clear. Do something different and out there and wild. Um, and also, in some senses, the ministry of Jesus and certain prophets do that. Uh, signs are given in unexpected ways. What's going on in Jonah is just like that. What happened in Acts 4, another kind of incident of something spectacular. But, because God works in everything in his creation, from the biggest events of the tiniest detail, even the mundane is miraculous. Because God values his creation and what he set up and keeps working through, He'll, he'll generally work through his creation rather than against it. Now, it is possible that God could say to people who went out there and stood on a soapbox in the corner of Lyon Fitzroy and just started reading the Bible out. That's possible. He could save someone that way. But probably not likely. Um, his general pattern is to work through the gifts that he's already given. The normal pattern of life. He'll probably bring people into fellowship with him through them knowing Christian friends. My point, make time for relationships. Possibly the greatest contribution that modern Sydney Christians could make to the workplace is creating space for relationships in the workplace. I want you to work hard, I want you to invite your friends to church, both those things, but if, if, if you just want to work hard and the only contact you have with the people next to you is sending them an email, is the job done yet? Um, and then you kind of go, walk up and go, hey, you want to come to church? That's a chasm to leap from one to the other. Build relationships with people. Be the one at work who just organises lunch. That's not about business, it's just for relationships so that you can bring in salvation from the Lord in a way that fits with creation. Read the times. Don't be blind to the situation that those around us are in. Uh, certainly don't be blind if perhaps that's you and you need to lament over your sin. What's the comfort I offer to uh, a friend who's hemmed in by death? I want to say it's the same advice uh, that I need to keep hanging on to myself. Salvation comes from the Lord. 
I need to turn people back there. I need to go back there myself. Salvation comes from the Lord. And we need to cling on to that truth. Let's pray that God would help us do that. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us to see the great wonder of your salvation, to delight in the way that you have defeated death and its effects, and to cling on to it. And Father, fill us with a great clarity about looking upon our world and looking upon those around us and those we love, and that we would be the people you use to bring your salvation message to them. Father, we ask that through us, many would come to know and delight in the salvation that comes from the Lord Jesus. Amen.